you said on an interview, you were asked the question, could you beat me in a fight? And you implied that you think you could take me on in a fight. And I wondered if you'd be prepared to put your money where your mouth is. Um, I wouldn't say anything unless I was prepared to put my money where my mouth is. So, are you calling me out, asking me for a fight? Yeah, exactly that. Okay. Would you fight me? Samuel, are you the most controversial person in property? No, I wouldn't say so. I think I'm... A lot, some people have called me controversial, but I don't actually understand why, because I don't know what I say or what I do that is controversial. I think maybe I'm the most popular person in property. Second most, maybe. I wouldn't, say, <laughs> I wouldn't say controversial, no. I don't think there's any... What, what about me or what I do is controversial, I really don't know. I mean, I guess I challenge the status quo and challenge the way people think around money and finance and property. Um, get talked about a lot, some good, some bad, but I would not describe myself as controversial. Um, you said some good, some bad. Yeah. So, so what's the bad? Well, the bad is a lot of people say that I make property investing look too easy. You know, it makes it look too easy. But I think the thing is, when people have been working for 20 years in property as a quantity surveyor, they went to university, they learned how to be a cost manager and quantity surveyor at university and spent five years learning at uni. And, was, and then I say, oh, it's easy to cost a, a refurb. You just do this, bang, bang, bang. A lot of property professionals, they don't like it because it almost makes them look less competent. Does that make sense? So I think, um, yeah, it's the same with anything, isn't it? Like, I mean, when I started plastering, when I was 15 years old, I started a plastering business. And I went on a course for five days to learn how to plaster. And all of the plasterers that I knew were like, you can't learn it in five days. Like they were like annoyed. How dare you think you can learn how to plaster in five days? It takes 20 years. And because I'm teaching people, how to learn about property and I'm, I'm, I'm showing them and I'm saying, look, this is actually easy and I'm cutting through the crap and saying it's fat. I think that's one of the things that people say that's bad. It makes it look too easy. Um, so yeah, but I think that's controversial. Having haters, how do you deal with that? Having haters is part of the business. It's part of being known. If, you're, if you have a, um, an online presence, I mean, I've seen people literally that are so like, um, who, who is it? Mother Teresa. They did an expose a documentary about Mother Teresa, and I'm thinking, how? Like, all she did was pour her life out voluntary to help people. Didn't get paid. Lived really poor, humble life, and they've done an expose a documentary on Mother Teresa after she's died. Crazy. So I think when you're in the public eye and in the spotlight, you're gonna have some people that like you, some people that don't. And I always say, for every one hater, you've helped 100 people. Mm. If no one's hating on you, or if no one's saying anything bad about you, it's probably because no one knows you exist. And if no one knows you exist, then you're not doing your job. Uh, if, you, if you want to influence people and have impact and change culture, you're not having enough impact. So how do I deal with haters? Um, I used to ignore them, and now I respond to them. And why did you used to ignore them, and why do you now respond to them? Because I used to think that, if you've got a hater, I used to think, I'm not gonna give it oxygen. And everyone used to tell me that. I spent so much money on PR agencies giving me advice. And also the same thing, the top lawyers, PR agencies, marketers, they say don't give the haters oxygen. Because if a hater says something about you, like let's say, even if it's something st stupid, like you've got a big chin, or you know, um, you're, you, 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 you probably inherited all your money from your mom and dad, right? You got lucky, whatever it is. If you've got someone hating on you, the reason that they're hating on you is because they want to be recognized. And if you ignore them, whilst you may say, oh, good, don't give them the recognition. 
what happens is they continue and then they start trolling you. And if they continue and they start trolling you and you've got lots of people doing this, it's not nice. So what I prefer to do is if someone says you've got a big chin, I'll just give them a little bit of recognition. I love heart their comment and I'll say it's because i got a lot of testosterone. You know what I mean? Or, or, or just give them something. Um, one guy messaged me a few weeks back and he, he um, like a really nasty message, he just said, you are a fat C-U-N-T on Instagram. And I saw the message and I responded. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I saw the message and I responded to him and I said, I'm really sorry if you're having a bad day. I can show you the messages. True story. Right? He responds and says, yeah, terrible. So I think when you've got haters, it's, it says more about them than it does about you. Mm. Um, and what they want is they're having a bad day. They're taking it out. So, and there's different types of haters. There's some haters like that, that are just like, you're a fat whatever or whatever, because they're just annoyed with themselves and they don't like you. Yes, you're mm. wealthy and successful, but you're fat. And they that kind of hater. But then there's another kind of hater who are malicious, who will make things up, spread rumors, try and ruin your business. And again, you can't ignore them. Those people, you need to put the facts straight. If you don't put the facts on the table, then people make stuff up. So if I've got people hating on me now, I'll usually respond. Hmm. I didn't used to. So the BBC, there were some articles about you in there. I think that there was a bit of an investigation or whatever. Did they try and cancel you? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because a lot of people say that, oh, the BBC said bad stuff like you. Well, hang on a minute. I've been on BBC One, wonderful positive show, the week the landlords moved in. I've been on BBC News. I've been on breakfast shows. I've been on all kinds of BBC stuff. And the BBC has many different departments. Once, a small regional BBC department did a show about me that was negative. What were they saying? Oh, they were just, they were just saying... Um, they were basically, they, were, they, were, they ran a story, in my opinion, without properly, they, 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 they took some of my unhappy customers and said, look, these people paid for training and aren't successful. But hang on, you would fail a dissertation because let's talk about the statistics. They didn't take one happy customer, one happy successful person and hunted for unhappy. And, um, you know, I think it was wrong and they did retract some of what they said. And they also um, have since published positive things about me. The BBC have. So did they try and cancel me? I'd probably say no. I don't think the BBC tried to cancel me. I think that media just generally want to sell stories. I think bad news sells more. You know, if you run a story and you say, this person is a successful young man and he's helping people and isn't it wonderful, no one's going to want that story. Whereas if they can try and you know, run with a, a, a false story or a story that's a bit more negative, it will get more views. Um, they did it once and uh, I took action against it. And How? they've since said- When you say took action, things. what did you do? Well, my lawyers, are my lawyers have been and are, and are dealing with it. Right, yeah. still? Yeah. Wow, and when did the article come out? It was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah, 20, um, I think 2019 or January 2020. Right. That time. Yeah. So why get the lawyers involved? Because I sue everybody that says things that are not true. <laughs> he just... Yeah, I sue, I sue anyone and everyone that says something about me that's not true, I'll sue them. Yeah. I don't care if they've got no money. Because it's like, well, find it. You, you, if you knock someone's wall down on their house and then you go, okay, I won't do it again, that's fine, but you need to build it back. Because you damaged the wall. And if someone says something or publishes something not true on social media or on the, in the media, then I think there needs to be consequences. That's, um, people. That must cost you quite a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, luckily I'm very rich. <laughs>
<laughs> so do you see that as an investment in protecting your brand? Yeah. Is, there, is there an element of like, you're wrong, that's not fair, I want things to be right? Um, like, would you chuck 50 grand at a legal case even if you only got 10 back, but it was righted what you thought was wrong? I'm not trying to get revenge on anybody. I'm not trying to get revenge. I'm not angry. I'm trying to protect my brand, protect my family, protect my uh, reputation, protect my business. And, you know, I did um, a few years ago. Now it doesn't really happen so much. Now it's kind of like, I think over time you get, if you, if you start out in business and you grow big like I did, quick, big, fast, suddenly start making millions of pounds, everyone knows who you are, you have to go through the fire. And when they put you through the fire, they put you through the fire by hating on you, laughing at you, publishing stories about you, the media, right, they push, they question. And most people do not stand the fire. Most people back down before it even gets to that point, but most people can't go through the fire. And if they do go through the fire, they'll be exposed, they'll be ousted, whatever, whatever. But if you are legitimate, you go through the fire and you come through strong when you continue growing. And that's what I've done over the last three years, since all that happened, over the last three years, I've grown from strength to strength. My business, my reputation, my students, my finances, my portfolio, everything's just been growing and moving positively. It's like a diamond, you know, being, being refined through the fire. So yeah, I did go through the fire. And everybody does. If you look at any great person in history, you know, I mean, they crucified Jesus. Muhammad Ali, I saw an interview with Muhammad Ali recently, and they said, why do they boo you? Why do they always boo you when you, when you go in the ring? And it's like, and he was like, I like being booed. <laughs> I'm the greatest, right? But when we think of Muhammad Ali now, we don't remember that. We don't think, oh, he was the guy that got booed. I watched um, the Whitney Houston um, show in cinema, Whitney Houston, the greatest vocalist ever, arguably. And guess what? They're all booing her, right? At a time in her life, everyone was booing her. She was trashed in the, in the, in the media. We don't remember that because she came through the fire. We don't remember that they booed Muhammad Ali. Because he came through that and now he's remembered as the greatest. We don't remember, oh Jesus, the guy that they killed for being offensive. No. Jesus, probably the most influential person who's ever lived, right? So I think in the same way, I went through the fire. I came out stronger, proved everybody wrong, busted all of the myths that were said, like, you know, nonsense like, oh, he's not really wealthy or lucky, he inherited it, all that nonsense. Everyone was saying all kinds of stuff. Proved everything with receipts, with facts, sued everybody that lied, and now come out the other side. And so how many, like, at the fever pitch of it, how many legal cases did you have on the go? <sighs> um, over a dozen. Wow. Yeah. We've never lost in court. No? No. Uh, how many of them have got to court? Um, we have been to court. I mean, not, not loads. Mm. Normally you settle things before you go to court, ideally. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, you know, I've been to court quite a few times. Yeah. With tenants and yeah. all, all kinds of different stuff. Soon people, um, and, and, and I've always won because I'm always right because I am a man of integrity and ethics, and I'm an honest man. I'm not perfect, I'm a human being. I've got a gift, I've got a gift to make money. I'm very good at making money, and I've also got a gift to teach and to make things simple. I'm really good at making things simple. Um, I sometimes piss people off, not perfect, um, but always, always won in court. Do you think as a business owner that um, there's enough protection for businesses around defamation and what people can just frivolously say? Well, I've done okay. Here's the problem though. It's but you've had, you had to spend a load right, right. of money on lawyers and right. have a dozen cases That's on the, the go. That's the problem. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. So when I win every single case against everybody, then I'll come and try and change the system and make it better. So you think it's unfair yes. towards businesses because people can be too free and loose 
with what they say? Um, no, they can't be too free and loose. Because if, if you say something that's not true, or defamatory, um, going to damage somebody, somebody's reputation, that business can sue you, right? So they're not free to say it. The problem is most people don't because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of the process. They're afraid of the person then going, oh, I'm being sued, and everyone feeling sorry for them. They're afraid of failing in court. They're afraid of having to finance it because it costs a fortune just to issue proceedings like Mm. 10 grand. People don't got that kind of money. What do you reckon you've spent on lawyers in the last three years? Oh, mate, I don't know. Quite quite a bit, though. Are we talking six figures? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't spend loads now. Does that feel right that you have to spend all that money defending yourself? It's the, it's the system that we're in. I think it's wrong because I think that if you are a small company and you're making a couple grand a month and, you st- and, you, and then someone decides to go and do a smear campaign against that company, lie about them, knowing they can't afford to do anything, they probably mm. can't. Mm. It's wrong. It's so, not right. So this opens up the freedom of speech chat then. Where do you think we are in the freedom of speech? I mean, the world is... Well, I mean, I don't even know what to say about where the world is right now. There's people getting cancelled left, right and centre. Yeah. Where do you think we're at right now with freedom of speech? I think that we do have freedom of speech, but we just don't have freedom of speech if it's hate speech. We don't have freedom of speech if it's uh, not true. And we also don't have freedom of speech on every platform that we want. So I've had stuff that I've posted on Instagram, TikTok, they've taken it down. It's not hate speech. It's true. What I'm saying, it's like, what, what, why would they take that down? So we don't have free speech then? Well, is no, because they are a private company. So they can take down what they want to take down. I have free speech on to, to say things in my house, but if I'm going to go over to Instagram, who's not owned by me, and start wanting to say this, that, and the other, it's, it's down to the, if they want to not allow it, that, I think that's kind of their prerogative, yeah. personally. Mm. Yeah. And I think that hate speech should not be allowed. I think it should not be allowed to lie about people. Um, I have had stuff myself. I've been on the other end where I've had social media removing stuff I've said, and I'm like, what? Why? It's crazy. But um, I'd say we do have free speech, yeah. I think we do. We speak about what we want, don't we? Mm. Maybe we'll get taken down (laughs) (laughs) on YouTube, but that's a private company. Mm. All right, fine, stick it somewhere else, put it on Rumble. Mm. Still say it, just in case of where we can publish it. Mm. If I went onto your group, you run a group on Facebook, right? Yeah. Do people have free speech on there? Well, it's your group. Yeah. If I go on there and stop- First off, I wouldn't let you in. (laughs) Would you not? I wouldn't let me in. You let me would in you group? let me in your groups? Yeah. No, you wouldn't. I would. No, you wouldn't. You won't even let me in your freaking, no, you wouldn't. In, in your freaking seminar, no, bro. No, you wouldn't. Well, we'll talk about that later. All right. No, you, no. You wouldn't let me in your groups. I would. No, you wouldn't. Why, why did you say I wouldn't let you in my group? Because, you know, we're the biggest property training company in the UK. Why are you going to let right. me come in and... <laughs> <laughs> if you went into the group, I think um, it would actually help me. Bye. Because people, when they see us together, would realise, would see the light shining through me, you know, next to the darkness. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, well, we'll see if you let me in then. We'll see if you right, let you me join. in. You yeah. join. My point is this. If someone, not me, but if someone wanted to say stuff on your Facebook group, you, as the owner of the group, or as the admin of the group, could allow it or not allow it. Yeah. That's not, they can't say, oh, I don't have free speech, it's not fair. It's a private run group. Mm. If you don't like it, if it's not helping you, Instagram and Facebook and all these companies, they are businesses. If people are saying stuff on their platform that they don't like and it's not going to help their business, because maybe they're going to start having people pull, for, then, then I, I, I don't really have a problem with them cancelling it. It doesn't really bother me. I've only had it happen to me about four times. And um, 
just move on, mm. stick it somewhere else, mm. say it in a venue, hire a hotel and tell everybody there. Mm. So you're most known for property. You got into, we'll talk about your financial freedom challenge because I think that's how you kind of blew up. Yeah. How'd you get into property? It's our, um, it's our shared passion. Yeah. Well, um, I got into property basically because I was bad at everything else. Um, before I got into property, I got into money. When I was at school, I was bad at most of the subjects, but I realised I was good at money. I was doing like paper rounds, washing cars, and all kinds of stuff. And I remember my school teacher saying, I showed him, I showed him, I had a little Bradford and Bingley bank thing. And I, and I was quite proud. I was failing all my exams and stuff, but I said, I said to one of my teachers, I was like, look at my bank, man. Look at my bank. She looked at my bank, and there was about two and a half thousand pounds in there. And it was all saved as a kid with paper rounds and stuff. And she said, that's more money than I've got. And that gave me a real sense of self-esteem because I'm like, more money than the teachers, age 14. And that kind of gave me self-esteem. And then I'm like, right, I'm good at making money. I'm not necessarily good at maths and English and all this stuff, but I'm good at making money. So I set up a business, I set up a plastering company, as I mentioned, started learning how to plaster, outsourcing stuff, making a bit of money. I left school 16, I had about five grand and I was like really proud of that. Um, and then I just sort of wanted to pursue business. I read some books, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I realized that all the rich people are investing in property. All the wealthy people are investing in property. Went down to some property networks. I went to a Simon Zushi event um, and um, some different programs and some different courses and stuff. And how old were you at that point? 16. Right, wow, yeah, you got in early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, and then I man managed to sort of start making a bit of money. Obviously the recession then came and everything, everything I taught, it's funny because when I went on these courses, I got one house. I got my first house when I was 17 and that house, as in owned it? Well, yeah, I mean, it was my house. I had to get a host for it, yeah. but it was, no one gave me a penny for it, but I had to get someone to host it for yeah. me before, because I was too young, I was only 17. Um, but then the rules all changed. You'll remember all this, you know, like, and it, uh, Mortgage Express yeah. went bust, and the whole way of buying a house below market value and refinancing the same day changed. And I was, I was pissed off, because I was like, everything I've been learning on these courses now is out of date. But then my mentor said to me, but you did get one house out of it, which will, to be fair, <laughs> pay for all the training that you've done. And I realized, man, just one deal is paid, that's true. So I, you know, I went on more courses, I went on a whole bunch of different people's courses. Every course that was going, pretty much, that I could find, I went to. And, um, and read lots of books. I got a mentor from BNI called Tony, and, um, and started doing um, controlling properties, lease option agreements, I got nine houses when I was 19 years old, nine properties. Again, I didn't own them, I was too young, so I had to get lease options and joint ventures. Um, became a millionaire age 25. And then, um, yeah, the rest is history. And how many properties do you have now? So I own right now over 100. Um, I think it's, when you say how many properties do you own, it's interesting because back when I was younger. How many properties do you have? Because I get the difference between own and control. So you've got options and then you've got... Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is this, like, as I say, I own a lot of properties. But a few years ago, like in 2016, 2017, my goal was to own a thousand houses. It's like, I want to own a thousand houses. And it's actually our good friend, Lord Sugar, <laughs> that said to me, that's a terrible goal. Why would you want a thousand houses for? And like my whole business plan just changed, you know, Rob. Like now I'm more focusing on doing development deals. Like I've got... Um, I've got eight development deals at the moment that we that we that we that we have and we're working on some pretty big ones. Um, I've got 26 joint venture partners for developments. 
I got my GDV in the, in the portfolio is, is 45 million on our developments, over 100 million in the pipeline. I've sold a lot of my little shitty houses. I sold a load of houses off during lockdown. Um, Why'd you sell them? I sold them for, well, one of the reasons almost for, for we had cash flow issues, man. You know, in 2020, our training business costs us about half a million a month. Most people wouldn't believe that. You probably do as a, as a trainer. Venues, staff, got 36 members of staff on the training business. So when we went into lockdown, I was like, crap, this is crazy. We've got this massive machine, <laughs> half a million pounds a month, and now suddenly we can't run events. So um, I sold off a bunch of my houses. And the other reason I sold it off was because I was wanting to get into bigger deals. So during the whole of lockdown, I was buying like land, and I was getting options on land, planning permission, gaining from the planning. So my strategy changed. So I just sold, every time there was a problem with one of my small houses, the, agent, the letting agent would ring and say, oh, the tenant says that there's a leak again on the blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, yeah, sell that one. You know, I just started just selling off lots of my small houses. Um, and I realized that it's not about, yeah, I own a lot of properties, but it's not about owning lots. I know people that own, I've got students that own more properties than I do, but I make way more money. I've met people that own hundreds and hundreds of houses, but they're massively leveraged and they make minus 50 pound a month because <laughs> they don't make money. So for me, it's more about like um, making money. And a lot of the stuff that I do and a lot of the stuff that I teach is about trading properties. Like I've, I've, I've been involved in over 500 property transactions. I've packaged, sold, controlling. So yeah, it's, it's, it keeps me busy, man. But now it's more about, my, my focus now is more about big deals, buying um, big commercial properties, converting them or land. And as I say, we've got eight, um, eight, eight projects on at the moment, which is keeping me very, very busy. So what's your thought about property long-term? So I remember 2008, like you said, and yeah, it was a bit of a um, wobble time, yeah. but we actually ended up buying probably 50 properties in 08 and 09, um, and they were cheap as fuck. Like I'm talking 35 to 70 grand for family houses, they're all now worth 200 to 250. And you know, people in our industry say, "Oh well, properties don't double every 10 to 15 years." That's just what the gurus say. They fucking do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And I just think, well, okay, they're 250 now or 200, but in 12 to 15 years they're going to be four or 500, and then 12 to 15 years they're going to be a million. Aren't you going to look back in 20 years and look at all those houses you sold and think I should have kept them? No, because I didn't. I didn't sell them and then spend the money on going on holiday. I, I might have sold a bunch of houses and put them into a piece of land, put them into a commercial project. Like we've got, we just bought a factory on an option. Well, we bought it, we, initially we got it on an option and then we, we just bought it now. Million pounds, we could turn it to 48 apartments. GDV's gonna be about 6.6, 6.8 million. We finance it and then suddenly we've got 48. So I might have turned four properties sold them off, used that, the money from those four properties. Now I've got 48. Mm. So my capital appreciation is better, my cash flow is better. So I'm not saying I'm selling houses because, oh, I'm done with property investing. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm saying I'm, I, I, I don't want little houses all over the place because man management-wise, it's a nightmare. You've got hundreds of houses. Just, yeah. well, I did have a letting agent, but I sold it because it was a lot of hassle. Yeah. Um, I, there's no right or wrong. Oh, by the way, the company's house one, I like that. Sure. Fair enough. Because you know how um, up-to-date company's house accounts are, you? Yeah, very old. But you've had your letting for a long time. Yeah, we've had that 
probably 10 years. Yeah, so and it's a pretty it's trading right. business. It's yeah. the kind of business that usually you could see yeah. what the profit is, but yeah. Yeah, and the thing about a letting agency is it's very predictable. Yeah. So um, 1,250 tenants makes about 80 grand net profit a month. If you double that, it'll be about 160 net profit a month. If you halve it, it'll be about 40 net profit a month. But as you know, in the trading business, millions, nothing. Yeah. Millions, nothing. So yeah, I mean, initially we built the letting agency um, just to manage our own property. So, cause I've never had a phone call from a tenant. I mean like, yeah. why would I want that? So did you not think about building a property management company, manage all your properties and I then? I did, and then I sold it. Cause it was shit. Yeah. And it, I just didn't want to do that. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, I'm not into the idea. I don't want to own hundreds of houses all over the place. And even if, a lot of my properties, bro, I was buying them all over the place. Even if you've got a letting agency, you can't. Cause unless they're all in one area, I had houses all over the place, Wales, Durham, Birmingham, just literally scattered. So I think it was the smart move to sell some of them and then reinvest into development deals. You'll make just as much, this is one of the things Grant Cardone taught me. Grant Cardone said, big deals and small deals make just as much, take just as much energy. So if I'm trying to buy a house for 50,000 pounds and rent it out to a tenant, the paperwork, the, the whole process of doing that is, is, is quite time consuming. I'd rather do a big deal, because if I do 50, if I do 10, 50 grand houses, I'd rather do a half a million pound project. It will make me more money and it will be 10 times as easy. It's just one project. So I think big deals, and I'm not saying everyone should get started on big deals, because I think when you're starting out, my, my view is start on small deals because you'll make mistakes. I'd rather you make mistakes on a 50 grand house than a half million pound project. Start small, but I think the smartest thing to do from my experience my experience only, is to start small and then to build, and every deal you do should be bigger than your last. So start small and then build, rather than growing this way and having loads of houses and then having to have a management company to manage and it just, I'd rather grow this way and just get bigger, 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 bigger deals. And then I can eat or sell some of these off. And I'm just going bigger and bigger. So that's my plan. So my vision in property is I want to, I want to own and build big buildings, beautiful buildings. That's, that's kind of where I'm going. Um, I'm still young, I'm 31. I've made many millions in property, but that's my vision as opposed to owning lots. And I also think you're doing a better service for the country because if you own loads of those houses, and I know that this is a little bit of a poor man's argument, and I'm not saying I totally agree, but there is an, an element of truth that you are taking away houses for first time buyers. Like if you're all the investors snapping up properties, you're pushing house prices up. It makes it harder for first-time buyers. If I'm buying a factory that's run down and has been run down for decades, and now I'm converting it into 48 affordable properties for people, then I'm actually doing a service for the country and getting rich at the same time. So that's what I'm about. Don't you think, though, really? Because that argument of um, investors going in and pushing up the prices of properties, I mean, the investor market is a very small percentage compared to the homeowner market. Well, not in some towns, it's not. If you go to certain parts of Liverpool, it's 50% investors. Well, yeah, in, on certain streets where Robbie Fowler's bought more, <laughs> but that, that's probably not indicative of the country. Isn't it really the government's responsibility to get involved in helping first-time buyers? Why is it the investor's responsibility? And why is it the investor's fault? Is there a bit of landlord bashing in the government? I'm not saying, it's unethical to buy lots of houses. Because you bought lots of houses. I bought lots so of houses. So you'd be a hypocrite. I would be. Yeah. 
But what I'm saying is, I think that you're doing a... When, when you start making a lot Because just another thing. is a lot of people can't afford to get a mortgage, so then they can rent. Right. And it's a step more towards buying a property. It's not really the but investors that push the prices up. It's the affordability due to inflation and other factors and ease of getting lending that have effect in price. Not just investors buying property, because investors yeah. like to buy cheap. They you do. don't overpay. You, you do BMV, don't you? Mostly. Yeah. yeah, so you buy, you buy cheap, not expensive. But there's, often there's a shortage of houses. And That's it's the hard. government's fault. They, they run the country. It's not, is it but, not their fault? But Rob, my argument is not that I think that one's really bad and one's evil and one's brilliant. What I'm saying is buying property investments, there is a supply and demand. It's all about everything's about supply and demand. You are pushing the prices up by buying lots of houses. There is only so many. There's a massive housing shortage in the UK. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. Massive Huge. housing shortage, right? Yeah. So for me to sit here and say, I want to own a thousand of them and teach everybody, let's all own a thousand, the maths don't add up. I think it's more ethical and just as lucrative to say, why don't we find properties that are completely run down, that no one wants and no one can buy, or buy land and work with the government and build houses. And I'd rather work with the government than against them. Because otherwise, if you become an enemy of the government, they'll tax the heck out of you, they'll make things really difficult. They are doing it in buy to let. Mm. Whereas, whereas if you're doing, if you're doing um, conversions or you're building houses and you're working with the government, I mean, they're making that market easier by laxing planning, permitted development. So. Why do you think the government have made it harder for landlords? I think the government have made it harder for landlords. I, well, I think there's many reasons. Uh, I think one of the reasons with the legislation, let's, let, let's, let's say, of licensing and all that stuff, EPCs, is because I think the government don't like bad landlords. I'm a good landlord. I'm a good property investor. I'm professional. My houses are high-end mostly. Again, I'm not perfect. I've learned, some, someone will find a video from seven years ago and go, that was a shitty property. Yeah, man, I'm growing. I'm learning every day. And I've documented my journey from the beginning. I'm a documented millionaire. But the bottom line is, is there's a lot of people that are running bad houses. They're running um, HMOs with rabbit run rooms. So, of course, the government are going to say, we're going to license HMOs. I don't think it's a bad thing. So I think a lot of the legislation... What about the tax changes? You know, oh, well, that's a different story, Rob. Removing <laughs> the interest rate relief. Yeah, that's because, that's because um, property investing is supposed to be, according to a lot of the people that pull the strings behind the government, for the rich people. So I don't think that, generally speaking, the government want people to be property investors. In fact, they don't. Right from school, we're brainwashed from school to go to school, get a job, be a good boy, be a good girl, buy a house to live in, pay off the mortgage, and then get a pension and retire. That's what the system wants us to do. So I think that the reason they're... And again, whenever you, when they're taxing landlords, there's always loopholes, right? So they might say, oh, you know, you can't claim back your interest rates. But if you're an enterprise, you can. If you own a company, you can. But they don't publicise that part. So there's always loopholes. The people that make the rules are the people that invest in property themselves. But yeah, I don't think that the government want everyday working class people to get into property or entrepreneurship. And that's why I think they make it hard. But my job is to demystify it, to get rid of the red tape, and to show people how it can be done. And that's one of the reasons people don't like me. 
So maybe you are the most controversial per- person in property then. But that's not controversial, is it? Well, I mean, it, I suppose it depends on how you define co- controversial. Yeah. Maybe controversial is they love you, they hate you. You're, maybe de- I'm the you're most, divisive, you're polarising. Maybe I'm the most disruptive. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Right. Where shall we go next? Yeah, you've got a training business. Yeah. So um, what makes more money? The training business or the property portfolio? I make more money in properties, actually. Rough and, split? Um, well, it depends what I want year. companies house call you out, by the way. Just no, r- I want company <laughs> house call you out. I was just mentioning. But now, um, Rough split? Well, for, for the first four years, it depends what year, catch me in, because as you say, things can be very up and down. Uh, I'll tell you something interesting. The first four years of me being doing training, and this is very interesting to you because you've seen a lot of people start training businesses and then they disappear, right? Mm. I lost money for the first four years in a row as a trainer. I was losing money. Why? Because I wasn't. I just wasn't making any money. I was losing money. <laughs> I mean, it'd be a very long conversation to say why. I lost money. I was losing money four years in a row. Um, then we started making money. Brilliant. From the training business. Then COVID happened. Lost money. Um, I'm projected next year to make more money on our on our property developments than, than we are in training. We are making money in training. I'm proud to be making money as a trainer. It's a good thing. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I what's think, the rough split? Average it out. I think it depends on the year. I mean, I uh, I really I really don't know. Every mm. every year will be will be different. Mm. Next year, I would probably estimate that we will probably make about seventy percent on our property business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I personally don't have any problem with that. I'll just tell you where I'm at, because I get, oh, would you make more money in? Oh, you make more money in training than in property? Well, um, you can do and you can teach. You know there's the saying, those that can do and those that can't teach. Yeah. But there are also those that can do and can teach. And people forget that. Um, so it's just an extra income stream. And if you help thousands of people get on the property ladder, become an investor, why is it an issue? Why do you think that question is, a critical question because it, it it doesn't come from your lovers and your fans does it what you're making more money in it comes from the critics as if it's bad to make more money in training than it is in property yeah no I think the reason people say it is because what they wouldn't want to see is people teaching or being like a guru that really isn't 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 the real deal and there's plenty of them there's plenty, plenty of them out. I mean I was a millionaire before I ever started doing any training from property mm. right um, my training business, as I say, lost money four years in a row. I worked very, very hard at it. Um, but yeah, I, I, of course, I, I want every, all of my businesses to be profitable. So, um, you know, people also sometimes say, you know, if, you, if your property business is so successful, then why do you teach people? And again, it's like, it's a daft question. It's like, well, do you want to make money it? or more money? If you say, imagine you say to Richard Branson, if your plane business is so successful, why do you have trains? It's like, as entrepreneurs, we're allowed to have more than one business. You know, it's okay. And I think the whole thing about people that say those that can do and those that can't teach, anyone that says that must think that every teacher, if you're a Spanish teacher, if you're a driving teacher, every teacher can't actually do what they're teaching. Because if mm. they could, they just do it. Mm. If you could really speak Spanish well, you'd just be out in Spain speaking with all the Spanish people. You wouldn't be teaching it to me. If you were really good at driving, you wouldn't be an instructor. You'd be a Formula One racer. If you were really good at property, you wouldn't be... The logic is warped. Mm. It's complete nonsense. Mm. What do you prefer to do? Gun to your head, you can choose being a property investor developer or being a teacher trainer. What do you prefer the most? Um, for my kids and for my what I want them to do, I want to leave them a very big development business that they can work on. I want to leave generational wealth. 
Um, so I think if I had to choose, I probably might be inclined to say developments because you've got something tangible. What do I actually enjoy doing more on a day-to-day? I would say probably training. I love, I prefer teaching people, mentoring people, being on stage, running events. That gives me a probably a bigger buzz than it does being on a building site. Because I'm not doing the work anyway. Mm. Just overseeing it. Um, so they're very different and it's nice. It's like, it's a nice balance because you've got your property business, which is obviously wealth building and, and it's legacy passing on generational wealth but you've got your training business which is legacy in a different way and it's fun and it's so i, I think that the two businesses i actually closed the reason one of the reasons i closed down my letting agent was because i had a lot of businesses i had a letting agent i had a this business or that business i had a freaking construction company where we overseeing refurbs i had a training business i had a um, um my development business my investment business and all these businesses and i thought I, 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 it's, it's too much mm. it's too, a fair play for to richard branson he can have 100 businesses. For me, my property investment and my property development business and doing training is enough. Mm. So I'm not hungry to start new businesses and I just want to make the businesses that I've got the best they can possibly be. Mm. Earlier you talked about the system. Yes. Go to school, Yeah. get a job, buy a house, pay into your pension, be a good boy or girl. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, that system? I think that, that, that it's a bad thing that they brainwash you and show you that's all you can do. When you go to school, you learn you can do one or two things. You can either leave school and go to get further education and go to university. Awesome. Or you can be like a labourer. If you're really not very academic, you can use your hands and be a plasterer or a builder or a masseuse or a hairdresser, right? But there's a third option. And that third option is to be an entrepreneur, a business owner, an investor. And they don't tell you about that third option. There's nothing wrong with the first two options. There's nothing wrong with going to university and learning how to be a doctor and climbing the corporate ladder. There's nothing wrong with being a hairdresser. My mum was a hairdresser or a builder. My dad was a gardener. It's fine. But there's a third option. Why don't they tell you about the third option? Because, because I think that the, the, the society wants workers. If everybody was a businessman or businesswoman and an entrepreneur, everyone would do the third option because it's the best option. <laughs> Most people would, and um, I don't that, think they want that. that. Be, why not, though? Would, sounds like it'd be good for the country if we had more Maybe it would. I think that uh, it's interesting that even when you finish school, the, the thing is, the whole way that the system is created is for the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer. Even the banks, you know, Lloyd's Bank, by your side. The banks, what do they do? You put money in the bank and then they go and invest it and give you 0.3%. It's legalized criminalization almost, because if I did that, I'd be in prison, but the banks do. You know? So I think that the whole system is created for wealthy people to get wealthier and for poor people to stay poor. And I actually think it's gonna get worse. I think with cost of living crisis, I think it's gonna get harder. And I think it's important that people understand the third route. And that's why I'm so passionate about teaching financial literacy in schools. You know. Um, I want to maybe start my own school. I did. I built. I built a school just now in Uganda, and I built it on the basis that because the Ugandan government really needed some more schools, I said I'll build a school, but I want you to partner with me, and I want that school to teach financial literacy in the curriculum, and they agreed. So that's something that we've just done, um, and we've got two more schools that we're building at the moment in Uganda, and I'm also doing stuff in the UK. I'm working behind the scenes hard because I really badly want people in the schools, because I remember when I was a kid at school, and this is why it's important to me, because when I was a kid, I got ADHD, I've got dyslexia, I wasn't academic, and I thought I was a failure. 
And for that, for, it was it was finance, as I mentioned. It was making money in finance that actually gave me my self-esteem. And I think that I, when I go to schools, which I do quite a lot, and run assemblies and business workshops and classes when I'm invited, um, there's always kids I see and I'm like, ah, oh, they've got something about them. And often they're the kid that's naughty and it probably feels like a failure. So for me, that's a personal mission of mine, which links with the training business. Um, so yeah, I think the system is rigged. Is it going to be pretty hard though to get in and change a rigged system when you said that, you know, that system is designed to make those rich people richer? Why are they going to let you come in and tell them all how to be entrepreneurs? Oh, it's massively hard. I'll go into a school and I'll start teaching and they'll love it and then they invite me back and then they invite me back and I'll have a bit of a relationship going and then they'll say, we've been told we're not allowed to have you anymore. <laughs> you could say I'm onto a losing battle, but I guess, um, you know, to have a mission that's bigger than you, it means I'll probably cl keep climbing until I'm dead, which will give me a sense of fulfillment. And I do think that it's possible. And another way as well that we change the system is by, because if I teach adults, which I am doing, about money and finance, and let them teach their own kids. You know what I mean? It's just doing your bit. Mm. But for me, it's important. And even if the system never changes, but I'm able to go into schools and build a few schools and do and just help a few thousand kids out of the billions of people on the planet, then at least that's something. Mm. You know, leaving the world just a little bit better than you found it. You blew up with your financial freedom challenge. Yeah. Um, you did this um, start from scratch, build up financial freedom. Big YouTube video. Talk us through what you did. I was tired of getting people saying I'm lucky. Oh, you're lucky. Because when I got started in property, I had no money. I was too young to buy a property. And I was the, it was, we were on the brink of one of the biggest recessions in, in decades. So most people wouldn't back that horse. I did not start at a magical time. I was not given any money by anybody. My parents believed in me and supported me. But I wasn't given any money. And um, it kind of pissed me off when people would say, like, oh, you got lucky, it's all right for you. So I decided, right, that's it. I'm going to do a challenge where I'm going to lock myself out of my bank account. I'm going to get dumped into a random city, which I'll pull out from a hat. I'll have a referee with me to make sure I don't dip into my bank. I can't. Or make sure I don't contact anyone that I know. I'm not meeting anyone that I know. I'm not doing business with anyone that I know. I'm starting from scratch with an alias name and an alias identity with glasses and a wig. And I'm going to go hustle and I'm going to become financially free all over again from scratch. And I'm going to document it and share it with the world. So I did it. And I did it. Uh, when I left my house, my wife was crying. I hope to see you before Christmas. You know, it was like June. <laughs> I thought it was going to take me, it took me four years to become financially free, about 20, 21 years old. That's when I became financially free. I was thinking I'd do it in four months. I did it in a week. What did you achieve in a week then? I secured two rent to rents. Uh, I think a lease option, packaged and sold, made like eight grand, nine grand from scratch. And then the money that I'd got from the properties that I had under my control um, was enough to cover an average person's life, which was two and a half thousand pounds a month. So from within a week from scratch, I got my property business to a point whereby if I was a normal, regular person, that would be giving me a full-time income. Can anyone be financially free? Yes. Anybody can, but not everybody will. It's like asking, can anybody run a marathon? Well, I guess anybody could. They really wanted to put their... I, I, when I ran, I didn't quite run a marathon. I ran a kilometer, which is 26.2 kilometers, about 17 miles. When I ran my kilometer, doesn't sound as good. When I ran my kilometer, I, I saw people with wooden legs. 
It might take them seven hours. But everyone can run a marathon, realistically. Mm. There might be some people that are so disabled that they just can't. And I think within with financial freedom, it's the same. Re- obviously, there might be some people. It might be very, very severely. Um, you know, um, you know, it might have some 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 mental issues or, or whatever. But generally speaking, I've helped people that are blind. I've helped people that are deaf. <laughs> you know, become financially free. So I think that anybody can, but not everybody will. You have to really want it. You said earlier the system's rigged, though, whereby yeah. it helps the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Does that not make it more difficult? Well, you've got to get educated. As part of becoming financially free, you've got to understand what you're doing. So what are the top three things, then, people need to know? If you say anyone can, not everyone will, but anyone can be financially free, what are the top three things they need to know? Well, firstly, I would challenge everything. Learning is important, but it's also important to unlearn. So I speak to so many people that are really wanting to become financially free. They're desperate. I want to get on the property ladder. And they're saving and putting money into an ISA. Saying, well, the government are going to match 25% of what I can save. That is a terrible plan. Because so all of the plans help to buy. Oh, I'm saving up a small deposit. The government are going to put most of the money in that. That's a terrible plan. So all the plans that the government have provided for you are terrible. So the very first thing I would say to do is to throw all that out the window and think, let me start from actual scratch because their initial plan is wrong. Some people get to the top of the ladder and they realize they climbed the wrong ladder. So the first thing is start from scratch, uh, unlearn everything. Second thing would be um, learn to sell because you've got to know how to sell. I'm a good salesperson. I know how to communicate. I know how to get deals over the line. I know how to negotiate. Anyone that's successful in business needs to know how to sell. Um, massively important. And that's something that, again, they don't teach you in school or anywhere. They don't know how to close. Do you know, do you know how awkward it is when I, when I ask people, I'll, I'll say to somebody, um, sell this deal to an investor, and I'll give them the exact script. But when it gets to the line where it's like, how would you like to pay? A lot of people can't bring themselves to ask it. They're like, how would you like to pay? Any chance, maybe? You know, it's like, really? Where it's actually being confident and realizing that sales is a good thing. And then thirdly, I would say put a plan together. Get a plan, find people that have done what you have done and, 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 and pick their brain, learn from them, read the right books, attend the right seminars. A lot of training's free, you know? Um, and, and, and then just go take massive action with your new ability to sell and dump all the old plan of listening to the government. Do you know how many people come to me and say, I'm at university learning real estate. I'm like, what's your plan? I wanna be a property investor. How long have you been there? Two years. How much did it cost? 100 grand. And what's the talk? What did they teach you yesterday? Oh, they don't show me. Teach me what goes in the windows. and how, What? Do you want to be a property investor? You don't need to know that. So, so much nonsense. So, if anyone can be financially free, but most people aren't, yeah. why aren't they? Well, one reason might be because they are, um, they don't want it bad enough. Can anybody be slim and have a six pack? Yes. Well, why doesn't everybody have a six pack? You tell me. I don't want it bad enough. <laughs> I'd rather the snicker bar. And in the same way, we've becoming a property investor and financially free. Can anyone do it? Yeah, they can. Then when it comes to it, oh, it's raining on a Tuesday. Do I really want to go out and view properties that might get cancelled on me anywhere at the last minute? Do I really want to, on, the, on my weekend, hit the phones, calling landlords and pit? Oh, you know what? Forget it. So it's the easy route. So anyone can if they want it bad enough, but it's hard. And then think some people just don't have the knowledge. They don't have 
anybody, a mentor, or they, they don't have a, a plan to their, they're working really hard doing the wrong thing. But with the right knowledge to get yourself trained up properly, because I think property investors in the business, that's why I think it's important to do any tr- property training you can. You know, you wouldn't try and become an electrician and say, I'm gonna learn on YouTube. You know what I mean? I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn to drive on YouTube, reading books. You'd go and get the proper course. Imagine you got on a plane and the pilot said, my first day today. But I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. <laughs> you wouldn't put your life in the hands of a pilot that was not properly trained. And I think in the same way, if you want to be a property investor and you're wanting people to lend you money, do deals, sell deals, let landlords entrust you, why should they trust you with their life savings and their properties when you're not, you won't even invest in yourself? Why would they invest in you and you won't invest in yourself? So I think, yeah, you know, and if you haven't got money to invest in yourself, then fine, at least invest, you know, 10 pounds reading the book and, or, or go to some networking events, 10 pound here, 10 pound there. It's choices, isn't it? You know, people come to me all the time. I can't afford the 10 pounds to get the book. And they got like a Louis Vuitton handbag. I'm like, what about your bag? It's fake. <laughs> Still 10 pounds. You know what I mean? It's like choices. Mm. So yeah, anyone can, but nobody will. When you Google Samuel Leeds, yeah. some of the um, search hits are Samuel Leeds con man, Samuel Leeds scam artist. Why is that up there? Get your phone out and let's have a look. Incognito. Do you know you know incognito, yeah? You have to go incognito, bro. Yeah. Is it? I'm doing it. Now you are you on incognito? What do you mean? Is that a- if you if you search something, like if I search, right, hear this, if I search how much is a black Mercedes Benz? Every time I search something, it'll be about Mercedes Benz's, but I don't see anything about about anything negative. Certainly not on the top page. So you don't think those searches come up? Well, they didn't just now. I'm not saying they. I'm not saying that nothing ever. There's nothing negative about me on Google, but I certainly don't think your question of why when you search something there's all this negativity about this that. And the other yeah, part. I didn't say all this negativity, and I just said. Why those, is there anything negative about me ever on the internet? Yeah, why, somebody why published are, it. Yeah, why are those? Why do those searches sometimes come up? Some results may have been removed under data protection or in Europe, so you could have got some of those removed. I suppose you can get Google searches removed off Google, can't you? I haven't done that. I've just got my lawyers to write to them if they've, if they've said negative and then, things, and then they take them down. Normally, yeah, yeah, they'll they'll get their lawyers to look at it and they'll realise, okay, it wasn't true. So I have to take it down. Listen, what's your question? Is your question why is there anything negative about me on the internet? Well, I mean, set the record straight is what I said. So if people have said that, um, set the record straight. Why do they say that? Well, I just think that the vast majority of everything on Google is positive. The vast, I've got like five thousand reviews, and on average we have. 4.8 stars. There might be the odd negative thing. Did you manage to get published. some? You remember there was that campaign where they all went and one starred you. Yes, yeah. there was. All right, let me let me let me let me answer your question. Um, there have been negative things posted about me. I have had people, you know, like a hate campaign. People try and smear me. Oh, let's all leave one stars, um, and I've got it removed. The odd thing might still be be, be online. 
Um, why did it happen? I guess you need to ask the people that wrote it, really, not me. Anybody can create a website or create a forum and then write negative things. Um, so this sort of ha hate smear campaign, you don't have any idea why they did it? Most of the people that tried to smear my name, I didn't know. I've never met. I've never done any of my training. So I can't really get in their heads. I mean, that that's just, I don't really want to get inside their heads either. Mm. Is it true you own part of Property Tribes? Yes. So is it actually true? Because I saw a video where um, Vanessa Warwick, one of the original owners, um, whatever her role is, sort of got a little bit exposed because she was caught out on a podcast that um, you owned part of Property Tribes and she seemed somewhat flawed. And then Nick Tad, also one of the owners, said he, he doesn't, um, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. do you? Yeah, I own 35%. Right, why did you buy 35% of property tribes? Which, just for anyone who may not know them, they are um, a property forum. And I'm going to say it so you don't have to. Um, a lot of unfair criticism levied at people who run training businesses stems from that forum. Yeah. A lot of which is said is not true or is smearing defamation. And for many years, they just got away with it. Yeah. And they went for you probably as big as they've gone for anyone. And, um, you and I decided to buy them. You response. <laughs> I better check companies out so you haven't bought a 35% of progressive property. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to afford it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why did you buy 35% of yeah. the antichrist of you where a lot of your hate came from? So Vanessa Warwick, who I am suing, who you're right, smeared me on property tribes. She actually doesn't own any of property tribes. It's her husband. Yeah. And so what's her role in that? She's a volunteer. She works for me. Okay. She's, she works for you? Yeah, she does. She's a volunteer. Right. So she works for property tribes, which I own 35% of. I bought 25% initially, and then I thought, actually, you know what? I think this is, that was a good move. So I bought another 10%. So now I own 35%. Um, why did I do it? I guess, um, you know when Michael Jackson bought M the rights to Eminem songs when Eminem was dissing him? I thought, if they're going to talk about me, at least let me get paid. You know what I mean? At least let me get paid for it. And also, there's so much negativity and toxic talk on property drives. But I genuinely think it's a pretty good website. It's got a pretty good ranking. 65,000 online landlords. I just wanted to own it. I wanted to own it, make it better be part of it and um, and yeah how did you manage to buy 25 or 35 percent without the owners knowing because they didn't do their due diligence which they talk about a lot doing their due diligence don't they that's their big thing do your due diligence yeah they didn't do their due diligence because I imagine the last person on the face of this earth they'd want to own 35% of property tribes is Samuel Leeds. Would that be a fair thing to say? I don't know, man. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. They didn't look too happy. No. You know. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm not trying to upset anybody. I'm just trying to get paid. I'm a businessman. It was a commercial decision. I thought. The most ranked... View, um, does it generate good revenue? Well, the most... Well, I'll find out. <laughs> if they pull a dividend, I'm getting 35%. Right. The most 
viewed threads on Property Tribes are about Samuel Leeds, me. Why would I not want to have an ownership on, on, on the business? Um, my wife as well is uh, black, Zimbabwean lady, and when Vanessa Warwick was put as an advisor of the Property Redress Scheme, I was shocked because property Vanessa said a lot of things on Property Tribes that are very, she's assisted some pretty serious racism. She's been racist. I don't know if I want to say she is racist or she's, what I will say is she's helped and supported people who are racist, who are racist, who are trying to discriminate against um, tenants because of the colour of their skin. So basically people are saying, how do I rent my property out to someone that's not from Bangladesh? Because I, I want, you know, a white person in my house. And then she said, don't give them a reason. And I'm like, really? You've got someone like that on the board of the property redress game? Who's within property tribes. So I did a video about it. She then stepped down from the property redress scheme as an advisor. I stepped down slash got told to step down, I don't know. Um, and then yeah, I bought 25% of property tribes. And um, how'd you get another 10% when they knew you bought 25%? Wow, that's all part of the fun. I bought 25% and then um, when they found out, and I thought actually it was probably a good move, I then um, approached one of the shareholders who owned 10%. Well, there's two shareholders, one owned five, one owned five. I approached both of them and they sold both to me. Have you ever spoken to Nick or Vanessa as 35% um, owner of Property Tribes? Um, not directly, no. My lawyers have. My lawyers have asked them to. Um, they need to update Companies House because now I'm a person of significant control. But they're trying to delay doing that. That's fair enough. Are they, still, are they part... Are they part of people who you're um, in a legal battle with? Not Nick, no. No. I'm not suing Nick. I'm not suing Property Tribes. How can I sue Property Tribes when I am Property Tribes? But Vanessa, I'm suing. Why? For a high amount. Because she's defamed me on Property Tribes um, many, many, many times. And most people, what most people do is when Vanessa defames them, is they haven't got the money or the inclination to sue her. So they might write her a legal letter and then... You know, she might take it down or she might. But I want compensation for the damage that she's done. So I look forward to I look forward to it. How long's that look case been going on? Going on for about I'm not sure, maybe a year and a half. Quite a long time. But these things take a long time, that's another mm. problem. Mm. People know it's really expensive, it's really lengthy, but it's all good. Do you think you'll win? Yes. I wouldn't take someone to court that I didn't think I would win. Yeah. Would you settle out if a big enough number was offered? Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I'm always prepared to settle for the on the for the right terms. Yeah. Would you want an apology? Yes. Let's talk about Andrew Tate. All right. <laughs> Another controversial subject. Well, look, everyone's talking about him. You and I are one of the. I know it seems like he's interviewed by everyone, but actually, we're one of the few people that have interviewed him, and quite recently before he was detained. So, what do you think about Andrew Tate? Do you think he's innocent? Do you think he's guilty? What do you think about him in general? I can only speak about my experience of meeting Andrew. I've met Andrew Tate twice. My experience of meeting Andrew Tate was very positive. He's been very nice to me. He was very professional. He's helped me with my weight loss journey a little bit. Um, he just, I, I, I got on with him just fine. Um, in terms of whether he's innocent or whether he's guilty, I don't know, Rob. And I don't really know any of the details. My attitude is people are innocent until proven guilty. Um, we will find out, I guess. What do you think about how he built his online brand? You um, know, and his content 
I think he was polarising and controversial on purpose. He offended people on purpose. Um, he knew that that got him traffic. I think um, he's a great marketer. So he did extremely well. When I interviewed him, he was, at the time, he was the most Googled person on the on the planet when I, when I interviewed him. So, yeah, I think he's done extremely well from a marketing perspective. And um, the reason I interviewed him was because he's just a very interesting character that gets millions of views. And he talks about finance and business and made sense for me to interview him. I'm glad that I did. The, vi the videos had more views than any other video on my entire YouTube channel. It's had about five million. And I had a good experience with him. And I would interview him again. Right. A few years ago, yeah, quite a few years ago, you turned up to one of my property events in disguise and we kicked you out. It's true. Um, of course it's true. <laughs> the same you, won't need, you won't need to be suing me. For, um, why did you turn up at one of my property events in disguise? I mean, it wasn't <laughs> the best disguise I've ever seen. <laughs> I wasn't targeting your property event. The reason well, I came- you were, because you came to my property event. No, 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 but I wasn't. I went to everything property related. Did you, so... go, up and into, did you go to the others in disguise? Yes. All of them? Yes. So we were just one off? Yes. All right. So why? That was the week I was doing my financial freedom challenge. Where I was, if I my challenge is I'm starting again from scratch, trying to make it in property. If I'm walking around with Samuel Leeds and I come to your event, hey, I'm Samuel Leeds. Everyone's gonna probably know who I am. It's gonna ruin the challenge. So I thought if I go in disguise for the, when I'm doing my challenge, then no one knows who I am. And then if I get a deal, then it's an authentic, real How'd deal. How do you get a deal out of someone else's property training event? <laughs> so I'm going literally to every property networking thing I can get to. I'm trying to sell deals. I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to mm. get, find investors, raise finance. So I'm going to, I'm going on Google and I'm saying property events in the Midlands or wherever, wherever I am. And I'm going to everything. It wasn't personal on you. It wasn't like I'm coming to progressive. Ha ha ha. I was very, I was very respectful, um, and I was, you know, I was very, um, I was very respectful. And when I was asked to leave, I left. I didn't kick off a big fuss. Um, do, you, do you think it was the right thing for us to ask you to leave? I wasn't actually at that event. Yeah. Because um, that was when I'd sort of stepped back and had other trainers training. Um, yeah. Do you think it was right and fair that you were asked to leave? I think it was just a bizarre situation for them, probably. Like, what the heck? It, it's, it's Samuel Leeds in disguise. They didn't know you were doing a financial freedom challenge. You're yeah. there to do deals in the room. If I'd have got yeah. permission, I reckon if I'd have contacted Progressive and said, I'm doing this challenge, this is what I'm doing, blah, 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 they would have probably have said, no problem, calm it down. But I think it was the unknown. What the heck is going on? And why is he wearing a microphone? <laughs> I get why I got chucked out. Mm. Um, I couldn't get permission because it was a frantic challenge where I was literally going, one day I was in Hull, the next day I was in, but I was, didn't know where I was going to be. Mm. I might have sold the deal that night and didn't need to go. Like The financial freedom challenges are very sporadic and unplanned and spontaneous. Um, so yeah, man, I understand why uh, why I got chucked out. I don't, I don't hold that against, I don't hold that against the dark side. Um, <laughs> you know, I, understa I understand. Side. The dark side. Okay, next one. You um, ran a billboard campaign <laughs> in Peterborough. 
So there's only one property training company in Peterborough. Yeah. It's Progressive Property. And we all know, you know, we've been doing this a long time. We are the biggest. So there's all of a sudden Samuel leads his face in um, random uh, like suburbs of Peterborough where I own quite a lot of the houses. Um, why the fuck did you do that? And be honest. Don't I will bullshit be honest. Me. I remember you messaging me and you said, what's the return on investment on this? And I remember thinking, well, you saw it. Saw 100%. How much was it to run a billboard? <laughs> oh, it was about 800 quid. So you did it for me to see it? I did just as a bit of a joke to piss you off. Right. <laughs> so, so you did it to piss me off? Basically. But you also yeah. ran an event. In yeah, Peter, yeah, yeah. I ran an event, yeah. Did you do that to make money or to piss me off? Piss you off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> why Why did you want to piss me off? You know what? Not in a really bad way, like I want to hurt Rob or ruin him. I just thought it was a funny, jokey, hey, we're here. Remember, we can sell a venue out in your little shitty town. <laughs> the funniest thing was yeah, there was only two people. There was, there was, there was, um, how many people were there? I think there was, we felt, well, I can't remember what the venue was, but we booked like one of the biggest, most, most prestige venues in Peterborough. I think we had about 650 people. It was packed. And I said, who's here from Peterborough? Two people. So it wasn't commercially smart. So we never came back to shitty Peterborough. Um, but yeah, I did do it to piss you off. I thought it'd be funny. It was many years ago. I, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, well, you don't, uh, it didn't piss me off. So. Oh, well, it failed. Yeah. yeah. But actually you reminded me of it, didn't you, beforehand? Because we'll I'd, I'd forgotten. Because I, I remember. I forgot about it. To be yeah. Honest, yeah. I remember seeing it and. I actually thought it was quite, I probably hate to say this, but if I'm asking you to be honest, I should be honest too. Yeah. That was quite a funny, smart, interesting, disruptive move. And I didn't, I sort of thought, yeah, maybe a bit cockish, but I, I quite like it as well. <laughs> no, there we go. It's like when you, you know, your son out negotiates you and he's only seven and you think you, you're being a bit of a dick, but you've just done me. I, I take him to Lego and... You know, I said he's got a budget of 50 quid and I come out with a 150 pound piece that I've bought him and he's swizzed me. And I want to, I want to, I want to de- slap him, which I don't, but I want to, but I also think he's smart. And I think it was the same with you. I probably did want to slap that big face. <laughs> a big in, fat billboard. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it was obvious it was going to get no ROI and it was obvious no one in that area was going to come to that seminar. I know that. Um, but yeah, it was quite funny. Good. So you liked it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right, we do a little what do you think of round yeah. in always in the show. Um, what do you think of Grant Cardone? Love Grant Cardone. Amazing. Uh, he really helped me when I went through a lot of, because he's had a lot of negativity online and all kinds of stuff said about him as well. So when I was going through it in like 2019, beginning of 2020, he was really helpful. Spent a lot of time with him on the phone. Um, I've got a lot of time, a lot of love for Grant Cardone. What are they being negative with Grant about? Oh, I don't, I don't even read it. You know, you know, just... Same sort of stuff, right? Oh, he's not really as rich as he says he is, or he's 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 scamming people of money or und- stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure because I don't really read it, to be honest. Um, if it's about me, I usually do read it because I think it's important to know what people are saying about you. Mm. I didn't used to, but now I think no, I will read it. I used to hate it. Someone wrote like a really negative article about me. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to read it. Yeah, but now I'm like, yeah, show me. Maybe I can learn from it. Oh, oh, that's not true. Right, we'll sue them. Or oh. oh mm. Like Vice did one. Vice did, um, I wouldn't say negative, but they did an article about me recently about, um, it wasn't really a negative article about me. It was an article about 
property in entrepreneurs and investors and rent to rent and they're basically saying that rent to rents are ruining the property industry all that stuff i was saying earlier about house prices getting pushed up by investors and they're blaming me for it he's doing this and he's teaching people how to do this um and i just think it's interesting it just makes me think and i'm like, oh, that's an interesting perspective it makes you more well-rounded um so but if it's about somebody else if someone wrote a negative article about you i'm not going to read it I'm not interested. So I haven't read the stuff about Grant, but all I'll say is I know Grant pretty well. I've met him many times. I consider him almost a friend and I've got nothing but good things to say. And Grant Cardone on camera is not quite like he is in real life. On camera, he's probably more, you know on camera he's quite aggressive and in real life, he's very sweet, he's very present, he's very kind, nothing but love. What do you think of Robert Kiyosaki? I have mad respect for Robert Kiyosaki for what he's done and his message. Um, he is a grumpy git. Um, and when I've you know, met with him, he's been grumpy. Um, certainly has not been sweet and kind like Grant Cardone. But his Rich Dad Poor Dad book, bro, right, that is just, that changed the game for me when I was a teenager and also changes the game for many people that read his book. A lot of people read Robert Kiyosaki's book and they're like, wow. And then they end up coming to one of my events. So for me to sit here and knock Robert Kiyosaki will be dishonouring. And, um, you know, I have to show him honour, but he's very grumpy. Would I want to go out for drinks with him? Not really. What do you think of Bill Gates? Um, it's an interesting one. I, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that question because there's a lot of stuff said about Bill Gates, right? And I'm sure there's millions of conspiracies against him as well, that he's, a, he's an alien and he's the devil. Is he? Or is he just a really successful businessman that owns a lot of stuff? I know he owns crap loads of land. It's a bit ironic that he's a member of the World Economic Forum and the World Economic Forum are saying, own nothing and be happy about it. And Bill Gates is a member and an advocate and he's buying right now. I think he owns more land in America than just about any individual in the whole entire America. So it's like a bit ironic. He's definitely smart. I'd have to meet him and sit with him in order to give it. I'll never give an opinion of what do I think about somebody. I see it about me. People are like, what do you think about Samuel Leeds? And they'll say, oh, I think he's this. Oh, I think he's that. And I'm like, you've never met me. How do you have an opinion about what I'm like as a person or who I am or what I stand for? You've never met me. So I don't know what I think of Bill Gates. You talked about the World Economic Forum. You did yeah. a video. Yeah. Um, and you got the red devil eyes, Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum, yeah. and it kind of blew up. So what do you think of the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab? Well, the World Economic Forum, I, um, again, I mentioned the advert that they said, your own nothing can be happy about it. 2030, all their predictions, and, 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 and you're not eating meat unless it's a treat and this. And I was thinking, that's not how rich people think. Rich, what, 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 what is this? And I started looking into the World Economic Forum and I realized that there was a lot of rich and powerful people. And I investigated them and I found out that to join it, it cost half a million pounds a year to be a, a partner. Of did you the World try Economic and join? Forum. I did. You tried to join? Yep. Tell us about it. I applied, I filled out the application form and they would not have me as a member. And give you a reason? Nope. Didn't even get back to me. And it made me think, so not only do you have to be really rich to be a member, you also have to be a have a certain set of beliefs or something. So really rich with a certain set of beliefs to be a member of a club that wants you change in the world and apparently make things better. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical. Sounds a little bit dodgy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that my attitude is 
with the World Economic Forum is I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours thinking and talking and discussing about the World Economic Forum because at the end of the day, I control my life. My life's good. I'd rather tell people. And, and ultimately, the people that make the rules are always rich themselves. So it's about finding the loopholes, becoming wealthy. But I think that, yeah, we're in interesting times. Everybody's fighting for power and control. And I think the World Economic Forum have a lot of power. And um, interesting that a lot of the articles that have been written by the media are bad about me. They're all, if you find out who owns that media platform, they're all members of the World Economic Forum as well. Interesting. I'm not saying they're trying to shut me down because of what I'm saying, but it's just interesting. But I tend to not, the more you overthink stuff like this and think about it, you can end up becoming super paranoid and I'm a happy person, I sleep well. What do you think about Jordan Belfort? Uh, I met him, had dinner with him once. Um, I had a little bit of an awkward encounter with him. Tell I us. asked him to come on my podcast and he was a bit rude. You know what he said? What? He said, leave me alone. Really? I was like, damn. There's only like 12 people. Having, it was like, a, you know when you can go and see him speak and then afterwards it's like a VIP dinner. Yeah. I was like, hey, I went up to him. And I was a bit nervous as well, because this was like quite quite a few years ago, really, when I was just sort of wanting to grow my channel and my podcast and stuff. I was like, hey, um, I'd love to get you on my podcast, potentially. Have you got an email or could I? And he went, leave me alone. And I was like, oh, wow. So that wasn't a good experience. Maybe he was tired. Um, but actually, apart from that, I think Jordan Belfort is inspirational. I think uh, his teaching on sales is very, very good. Um, I know he's got a bad past. I genuinely do believe that he's reformed. I genuinely do because after dinner, and we, you know, he was speaking. We were speaking as a group. Um, I think he's got a good heart and um, he's intelligent. Did you see the ding dong with him and Grant Cardone? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What do you think about that? I'm, I'm team Grant, right? I'm team Grant Cardone. So what did I think about that? I think Grant went in a little bit defensive. I think Grant was a little bit card up, ready for a fight um, from, from from the beginning. And I don't think Grant came across great. I don't think it was his best interview at all, um, to be honest. But wow. they just, just clashed, didn't they? I mean, I can't actually remember the interview too well, but love Grant, team Grant all the way. Mm. But I think Grant didn't come across great. He's done better interviews, like the interview that he did with me. That was better. One million pounds worth of property on the table for you or one million pound, one million new ingat, let me ask that question again, because I fucked it. One million pounds worth of property, there you go, no mortgages. Or one million engaged social media followers, fans of Samuel Leeds, which one do you take and why? The engaged followers, every time. Why? Because a As million... a property investor, you're gonna say that? Yeah. Mm, why? Because a million pounds is not that much. A million engaged followers. I mean, for a st out of those million people, if only like, 1% of them have got money and they want to invest it. If people are following you and engaged with what you're doing, you can raise money. Mm. I could raise 10 million from that audience. Million engaged followers, damn. Bro, it's huge. Mm. Take it every time. The bigger, your, the bigger your list, the bigger your bank. Money comes from people, not property. Money comes, people say, that house makes me two grand a month, that house makes me, no it doesn't. The tenant in that house, is the person that's paying you. Money comes from investors, developers, landlords, tenants, agents, not property. So you got people that are engaged and know who you are. If you wanna raise money, fill your houses, do joint ventures, it's really easy. And then the money comes. So I think money comes from people and the bigger your list, the bigger your bank. So I'd go with the engaged followers every time. This show is called Disruptors. Yes. 
What does the word mean to you, disruptive? disruptive? I think disruptive means thinking outside the box, pushing the boundaries, being unafraid to be disliked in, in spite of truth and what you believe, and ultimately agitating industries and making them better. To quite a lot of people out there, especially in our niche, who are going to raise their eyebrows that mm. I've interviewed you on my show, what and you're about, you're about to interview... Well, I'm asking the questions. Oh, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> and you're about to interview me. What would you say to those people that are surprised that we're sat in my studio? I would say they shouldn't be surprised. In fact, Grant Cardone has been badgering me for two years, saying to me, you know Rob Moore, right? And I'm like, yeah, a little bit. He's in the UK, right? Yeah, 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 he's in the UK. He lives in this little shitty area called Peterborough. He's like... You do need to be careful. You are in Peterborough right yeah. now. <laughs> they wouldn't do nothing. You haven't got the code to the barrier to get out. <laughs> but Grant Cardone's always saying to me, why don't you guys collaborate? Why aren't you doing anything together? What's going on? Think collaboratively, don't not competition, collaboration. So I think it makes sense, you know, we're both leaders in, the, in, in our industry and we're both well known and we've got a following. Both got a lot of good stuff to say. Might not agree on everything. Um, so yeah, I think it makes sense. Thanks, nice right. to chat.